We're continuing in our Christmas at Mount Hope series. Uh, Pastor Marvin got us started last uh, week, and we look each week at a different kind of Christmas carol, but look at the theology behind it and looking at some of the uh, theology in that song. And so last week, O Little Town of Bethlehem, we got started with, and this week, you might have guessed it already, O Come All Ye Faithful. Uh, oh, come, let us adore him. We're going to talk about that uh, this morning. But let me start off with a question. What do these things have in common? Walmart coming to town, getting an invitation to a party, an announcement of a wedding, and Jesus being born in Bethlehem. What do these four things have in common? Walmart coming to town, an invitation to a party, an announcement to a wedding, and Jesus being born in Bethlehem. Someone in the first service said they're all happy. And, um, and they can be, but all not necessarily, right? Here's what they all have in common. They are good news to some, but not always good news to everyone. Right? If you get a wedding announcement and it's your best friend and they are marrying someone who you know is good for them and you know it's great and you know it's, it's good news, right? If it's, a, if it's a, you know, someone that's a relative and you're like, oh, finally, these two are getting together. It's about time. They're great from each other and you're excited. It could be good news. But if you get a wedding announcement and you get it and you open it up and you're going, oh, no, this is going to be a train wreck. Right, and you're like, this is not good news. Or if you thought, hey, that's the person I wanted to marry. <laughs> well, that's not good news for you. Or maybe you get a party invitation, but your calendar is full of parties already. And you already have two on in that night. Maybe this time of year that happens, right? That you get those. And it's good news to some, but maybe not good news to everyone. I heard the story of one family. Uh, not a story, the account, one family uh, this year who planned a two-week Caribbean vacation two weeks prior to Christmas. And the reason they did it is so that they didn't have to go or say no to all the holiday parties they get invited to. (laughs) Some of you are thinking, that sounds crazy. Others of you are thinking, why didn't I think of that? Or Walmart coming to town. That's good news for some. If you, you're like, I need a Walmart closer to me. That'd be great if I had one closer to me. But if you are a owner of a small store that's coming and you see Walmart's coming to town, it might not be good news. I remember a few years ago when Home Depot was coming into Bill Ricca and they were, were trying to get into Bill Ricca. And I think some people thought, oh, this is great. I don't have to drive to Tewksbury. I don't have to drive to Reading. It'll be right in town, easy. But if you were an employee at O'Connor Hardware right down the street, or if you lived near it and you were going to have semi-trucks drive down your street, all of a sudden it wasn't good news to you. There are some things that are the same news. It doesn't change, but it's good news to some, but not always good news to everyone. And when we talk about the news that the angels announced that unto you a Savior is born, Christ the Lord in Bethlehem, and this, the angels said, is good news. And it was good news, but it wasn't good news to everyone. 
Let's look at that this morning. Matthew chapter 2, verses 1, 2, and 3. I want to look at this morning. Matthew chapter 2, verses 1, 2, and 3. If you have your Bible, you can turn there. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the chair rack, either in front of you or behind you. And um, if you use one of those Bibles in the chair rack, it's on page 807, I believe, right about there is where we're at. Matthew chapter 2, verses 1, 2, and 3. Good news to some, but not always good news to everyone. What's the difference? Now, Jesus, now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. In assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born, and they told him in Bethlehem of Judea. To the wise men, or magi as they're sometimes called, it was good news. They were coming from a far off distance to worship. But to Herod, it said he was troubled. It wasn't good news. Same news, different reaction. And why is that? Let's just look at just two points this morning. Why it's good news to the Magi and not to Herod. Let's look at the Magi, the wise men first. And the reason it's good news to the wise men, it's because when you believe Jesus is the king sent from God, it leads to adoration. It leads to worship. It's good news. If you believe that the king that God sent, that you've been waiting for, has now arrived, it's good news. And that's what these magi uh, heard. If you don't, they're kind of a, it's kind of a strange word, this magi, right? What, what are they? We don't, I don't know any magi. I don't know if you know any magi. Um, so what are they? Uh, it does actually, is actually the root of our word magician or magic. And they were kind of that. In a sense. I mean, they weren't pull the rabbit out of the hat magicians, but sorcery, astrology, uh, dark arts, a lot of them kind of were involved in. They were Eastern kind of mystical advisors to kings and to uh, those that were in power. And they weren't Jewish people. They were in the eastern part of, of the world, the east of Jerusalem and Judea at the time. But they had become exposed to the Hebrew scriptures, to the Jewish holy scriptures. And how was that? Well, probably through the exile. Uh, probably through when the Jewish people were exiled out of Israel. If you read the book of Daniel, we went, we went through the book of Daniel earlier this year. You remember Daniel was taken out of Israel, sent into a foreign land. Well, when he's there with his foreign, uh, this foreign land, and he's got his holy books and his holy scriptures, and he's in the same schools being trained actually with these magi to be advisors to the king. And they become exposed to the Jewish Holy Scriptures and they study them and they see a star rise. And when they see the star rise, that through their understanding of these Holy Scriptures, they believe that it means that a king of the Jews has been born. And so they go to worship and they go to adore and they go to honor a king that has been born. And 
just before we go on from here, I just want us to notice how they adore. Because I think the way that they worship and the way that they adore in many ways is the same way that we worship and we adore. Those of us that are gathered here, you're here on a Sunday morning, on a cold Sunday morning. You left your house, some of you, in single digits. I did. It was nine when I left my house this morning. And you left your house, and it was cold, and you came here on a Sunday morning. Why? Many of you, because you love Jesus, because you love this king, you serve him, you want to adore him, you want to worship him. We gather to do that. He's a king that came not to conquer a country or a geographic place. He's a king that came to conquer your greatest enemy, which is death itself. And so he's to be worshipped as a king because that's what kings do. They conquer. They spread their kingdom. And that's what Jesus did. And so the Magi came, and I think the way that they worshipped is instrumental for us just to pause for a second to realize how they worshipped because it's also how we should worship. First of all, they came. Oh, come, all ye faithful. They left their place of comfort. They went on a journey. They stopped what they were doing. They ceased their work. And this was part of their act of worship. And it's part of your act of worship too. You worshiped God before you sang a word of a song this morning. Your act of coming, of ceasing your work, of stopping doing whatever you would normally do. Whenever you at some point put a pause in your calendar and said, I'm not going to work then, I'm stopping, I'm going to church. It was an act of worship. God in Deuteronomy chapter 5 put it this way, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy for I am the God who delivered you out of Egypt. Cease your work. Stop. Keep it holy. Remember that I delivered you. You came here this morning in stopping your work because there's a God who's delivered you. Delivered you out of sin. Delivered you out of a place that you could not get out of. And so you ceased your work and you came to worship. And they came. The second thing they did is they gave. They brought gifts. They brought expensive gifts. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. I know you're probably not carrying much of that on you this morning. But they were expensive gifts. I don't know what a baby was going to do with those gifts, but that's what they brought. I mean, the old joke is almost too tired to tell of, you know, if it had been three wise women, it would have been different, right? It it would have been, right, diapers and burp cloths and a tray of lasagna, and it would have been something helpful. But it's, it's not because what they brought was what was valuable to them. They brought what was valuable in their world. They brought an offering of something to this king that actually did probably prove to be very useful in the future. The scripture doesn't tell us for sure, but you got to think that if you've got to go down this family, this very poor family, go down into Egypt, which is what's going to happen next, for two years as foreigners... Imagine suddenly you had to leave right where you were right now and go to a foreign country and spend two years there. Two years of Airbnbs is going to cost you some money or two years of some hotels. Well, how are they going to pay for that? Well, we just got gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. 
And God provided for them. And those gifts did end up being very useful. But they gave. And we come on Sunday morning. That's a part of our worship too. We give. I mean, the God of all the universe who created all the metal that exists anywhere, every mineral, doesn't need gold. But we give out of worship. The God who created the olfactory sense and created the nose on your face and the ability to smell incense doesn't need incense, frankincense, or myrrh, but we give out of worship. The God who created the world and everything in it doesn't need our dollars and cents, but we give what's valuable to us. We give in worship to him. This is how we adore. So, oh, come, let us adore him. We do it by coming. We come together. We change our schedules. We cease our work. We do it by giving. We give of what's valuable to us. But finally, third, it says they bowed down in worship. And they pick it up in verse 10. When they, this is the Magi, saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, let me pause there for a second. Some of you may know this, but some of you may not. Why is it a house and not the stable? Wasn't, didn't Jesus, wasn't Jesus born in a stable? Wasn't Jesus born in a manger? Wasn't there no room in the inn? Uh, they're in a house probably because the Magi probably arrived about two years later. Jesus is born. The star appears. They start journeying. The Magi probably arrive because of all the other things in the story and how we figure it out. Probably got there about two years later. So when you set up your manger scene, your nativity at home... You might want to have the shepherds and Mary and Joseph in the stable and have the wise men somewhere on the other end of the table, just kind of making their journey. They're coming along. They're going to get there. So by the time they get to Bethlehem, they're not two years in a stable. They found a house. Joseph, you know, they're, they're in a house. So when they, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, they're in the, into the house. They saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country another way. I just want to focus just for a moment on those words. They fell down and worshipped him. They fell down and worshipped him. They worshipped not only with their time by leaving, ceasing their work. They worshipped not only with their resources, they worshiped with their bodies. I mean, they could have stood around. I mean, these are dignified guys. They could have just stood around drinking some nice tea that maybe Mary had provided for them and talking about the weather and how are things in Bethlehem and, oh, what a beautiful little two-year-old you got there at this point, right? Can you believe he's going to be king? I mean, they could have stood around like dignified people do, like we might be tempted to do at times maintain our dignity in front of other people. But it says they fell down in worship of him. They could have been enough, say, well, we brought these gifts. But they fell down in worship of the king. Their bodies, prostrated, were in worship of God. It's why what we do when we come here on Sunday. Some of you, you know, we come here and we sing and some of you don't sing. And some of you maybe wonder why we sing. 
And we sing because it's a part of a long tradition of worshiping God, the scriptures, and even before the scriptures, people sang and worshiped to God and gave words to it. But it's a way our bodies, our voices, our mind, heart, and bodies work together to bring adoration to God. Our vocal cords and our bodies, we discipline them and we worship God with our singing. It's the way our bodies do it. So we lift our hands and surrender and we say to my body, I'm going to worship God. And maybe we don't do this enough, but in the scriptures, we see it a lot. Fall down, bow down, and kneel before your king in worship. They kneel. I don't think we do that enough, probably corporately. I know we don't. But I wonder even privately, when's the last time you've knelt before your king? Uh, kneeling in prayer isn't something that just kids do. It isn't something we do because we don't have a chair beside our bed and so we're going to kneel. It isn't something we do so we have a place to rest our face when we're praying. Uh, kneeling is a position of worship before a king. Kneel down because I'm talking to my king prostrating myself. I'm telling my body that you're going to worship. I'm commanding my body, in a sense, that you will worship God. And so this was adoration. They stopped what they were doing. They came. They gave what was valuable to them, and they fell down in worship. Sometimes I think uh, maybe we don't do this enough, but this is what we gather for. This is what we do. Come, let us adore him. Our whole minds, hearts, body, and strength, let it be worship unto God. Don't just stand around looking dignified, maintaining our own, you know, reputation and good looks, but instead prostrate ourselves before our king. It's good news to some, but not to everyone. It was good news to the Magi. It was good news to the shepherds. It was good news to these wise men, but not to Herod. It says, Herod was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Well, all Jerusalem's troubled, because if Herod's troubled, everyone else is going to be troubled. <laughs> if Herod's in a bad mood, everyone's going to know it. But he's troubled. Why is he troubled? Well, very simply, it said in that passage... Right there, it says, Herod is, Herod the king heard this. Well, if you are a king and someone tells you that the king of the Jews has been born, now there's a problem. The reason it's bad news for Herod is because when you see yourself as the king sent from God, it leads to self-preservation. When you see yourself as the king sent from God, it leads not to adoration. It's not that you are overjoyed with good news. Actually, you're threatened. And it leads to self-preservation. And Herod was threatened. His rule was threatened. It's not really surprising if you know a little bit about this guy, Herod. He's a pretty uh, suspicious guy. He gets suspicious of everyone. And he's certainly going to be suspicious of anyone that calls themselves a king. Uh, 
his name, uh, Herod, he was a puppet of Rome. Rome fell in love with Herod when he was a young military leader, squashing rebellions and uprisings in a Galilee region. He rose in the ranks and was eventually given the title, and here's the title he was given, King of the Jews, and the charge to keep peace in Judea. Well, the Jews didn't like that. Herod had no claim to their throne. They didn't like that at all. He wasn't really Jewish anyways. His mother converted to Judaism. He actually was an Edomite, an ancient enemy of Israel. At one point, about 30 years before Jesus' birth, enemies from the east invaded Judea, and Herod had to flee Jerusalem. They set up a new king from a prominent Jewish priestly family called the Hasmoneans. Herod fled back to Rome and begged for help. He got the help he needed, retook Jerusalem, Judea, and his place as the throne and as king of the Jews. But his rule was always an anxious one. He worried about future attacks from the east, so he built castles along the east side. He intermarried. Uh, he actually married a woman from this Hasmonean family that had ousted him as king to try and cover all sides. He had two sons with her, but he also had nine other wives. He got suspicious of almost all of them. He had that first wife, had her killed along with her two sons, had his eldest son killed because he thought that he was threatening his throne. His rule was filled with anxiety and suspicions that somebody was always moving against him. And even though he rebuilt the temple, he did many other things to improve Israel, he was never accepted by the Jewish people. They always saw him as an obstacle to the real king they longed for. So his suspicions were not unfounded. So when some wise men from the east come and say, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Well, Herod's right to be suspicious. Because Herod's the king. And the throne is not a love seat. There's only room for one person to sit on the throne. And Herod's determined to make sure it's going to be him. So Herod does everything he can to remain and hold on to his power. He doesn't go or come as the wise men did. He stays in Jerusalem. He does not give anything that's valuable to him. In fact, he tries to protect it. He certainly doesn't fall down in worship. He's in it for self-preservation. If the Magi, it was come let us adore him, for Herod, it was go and let me ignore him. He wanted nothing to do with him. And there's people in our world that are like that too, isn't it? Uh, there are some that Jesus is coming and at Christmas time we'll talk about it and it's good news. And there are others that feel threatened by it. Why is Jesus so threatening? Keep him out of the schools. Keep the nativity out of the public sphere. And you can have your religion, just keep it inside your church building. Why is Jesus so feared? Why is it that there are so many that are threatened by him? 
Why is it that it's not seen as good news? I think the reason is because he came not just as a baby in a manger. He came not just as a savior, but he came as a king. And if he's king, then he doesn't serve us. We have to serve him. And if you are calling yourself king, now there's a problem. There's a threat. For some of us in this room, this tiny little baby is a threat to us because the claim is not just that he's a nice teacher or a nice guy who taught us how to be good people. The claim is that he's king and he's in charge. And if you're set about building your kingdom in this world, then a king who comes and says, my kingdom is not of this world, is going to be a problem for you. John chapter 18, Jesus talks about his kingdom, and he says this, talking to Pilate. He says, Jesus answered, do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? He's talking to Pilate, and Pilate says, are you a king? And then Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not of this world. So if you set about building your kingdom in this world and Jesus says, my kingdom's not of this world, well, that's gonna be a problem for you. So here's the thing. I think we'd all like to think we're always like the Magi. At least most of us. If you're gathered here on a nine-degree morning on a Sunday, you've come here. Most of us as followers of Jesus probably want to say, yeah, I'm more Magi than Herod. And maybe we are. But are there places in our lives that we're more like Herod than the Magi? Are there places in our lives when we are more about self-preservation than adoration, when we're more prone to stand and maintain our dignity than to fall down and worship, when we're more prone to stay where it's comfortable than to go and leave and worship. Jesus threatened the status quo. See, Jesus is bad news if you want to protect your power and position. Jesus is bad news if your greatest concern is maintaining your control over your life. Jesus is bad news if you're looking for a God who serves the throne of your life instead of occupying it. You might still go to church, read the Bible, and pray, but you don't actually let Jesus sit on the throne. You only let him serve it as you sit on it. And so it's good news to some, but to others, it's threatening news. But why should we? Maybe you're sitting here and you say, well, that's fine, but why should I bow my knee? Why should I worship? Why should I give my life to Jesus? Well, because control is short-term and an illusion. See, Herod thought he was in complete control. He was king of the Jews. He was in full control and he was going to do what kings do and take care of this issue. So he told the wise men, you go. 
and then come back and tell me where this king was born so I too may go and worship. He thought he was outsmarting them. He had no intent of worshiping. He was going to go and kill the baby. But he said, you go. I'm going to stay because I'm the king. I'm going to stay in my place of comfort. I'm not going to go. It's only about seven miles between Jerusalem and Bethlehem. It's not a long journey. But you go. I'm going to stay. And then you come back to me because I'm the king. I'll tell you what to do. I'm in control here. And you come back and tell me where this baby has been born. Herod had the same information. He knew the same holy scriptures had said it and proclaimed it and prophesied it. But he wasn't leaving his place of comfort. And then when God warns the wise men in a dream and says, don't go back to Herod, and they don't go back, and he realizes they didn't pay attention to his command, he says, well, I'm going to fix it this way. I'm going to go, gave an order to kill every baby under the age of two in Bethlehem. We'll take care of it that way. Herod thought he was a king. Herod thought he was in complete control. And yet God told the wise men not to go back to Herod. And God told Mary and Joseph in a dream, go down to Egypt, because Herod's going to try and kill the baby. And God provided for them through some pagan, magi, wise men, non-Jewish people from the east who brought gold and frankincense and myrrh so that they might be provided for to go down to Egypt for two years. And Herod thought he was in control. And all the while, God was accomplishing his plan and his purpose because he's the real king. And the truth is, we sometimes think we're in control and we're trying to hold on to what we think we can manage and what we think we can run and what we think we can do, but God is the one that's really in control. Our desire for control, fear, and insecurity can keep us from adoration and worship of God. So when the news is given, are you more like Herod who stays or the Magi who come? Are you threatened by Jesus being king? Is he king over everything in your life? And that's the real question, isn't it? Because it might be good news for eternity and heaven and life after this life. You're like, yeah, that's good news. And it might be good news when you're sick and you need a healing, that's good news. And it might be good news when the bills are coming in, you can't pay them, and you ask God for provision, that's good news. It might be good news when it's victory over death, but is it good news when he's also the king over your life? Is it good news when he's also king over your relationships? Is it good news when he's also king over your finances? Is it good news when he's also king over your difficulties and tells you to forgive, love your enemy, pray for those who persecute you? Is it good news when he's king over every aspect of your life? Are you adoring this king in every area of your life or only certain times and certain places? Do you still act like a king yourself or a queen yourself in other areas of your life? 
See a king or a queen in other areas making your own decisions as a sovereign, surrounding yourself with people who are only going to affirm what you think and want to do, who are only going to agree with you, never having to do anything that makes you feel uncomfortable or leave your place of comfort. And maybe this is the question. Let me close with this. Let me close with this question for you to consider. Maybe this would be the litmus test. Maybe this would be the thing that would tell us whether we're responding to this news as Herod or as the Magi. Maybe this would be the thing that would tell us the answer to this question, whether it's good news or threatening news. When was the last time your king ever asked you to do something that you would not naturally do? When was the last time that your king ever asked you to do something that would naturally be uncomfortable for you, but you knew was something from God? When was the last time your king asked you to do something you would not naturally do? Because if you can't remember, it's likely that you're your own king. There's a good chance that you're still sitting on the throne if there's not a king that's asked you to do something that you would not naturally do. Because here's what I've learned in walking with God, and I know many of you that have walked with God many years now. And when you walk with God, he's gonna ask some things of you, whether it's through his written word or it's through his Holy Spirit speaking to you. And you're gonna go, I don't wanna do that. <laughs> that's not for me. That's hard. But my king has asked me to live and do this. And then there's the question, who's king in my life? See, the life of a Christian is a one of constant repentance. It's one of constantly listening and correcting your path. And so you may have come into this place and you say, yeah, Jesus is my king. I adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. I believe he's, he's creator. I believe he's savior. I've given my life to him. But are there places in your life where you are still sitting on the throne and have not yielded it to God? And that's how I want us to close today. Looking at our hearts. Lord, is there any place in my heart that I am acting more out of self-preservation than I am out of adoration? that I'm holding back from you? Are you acting more like a microscope or a telescope? A microscope uh, is, they're both instruments that have glass and, and help you see things, but a microscope takes something that's small and makes it look bigger than it really is. And I think sometimes in our life, we act like microscopes. We want to take our own little kingdom and try and make it look bigger than it really is. We try and inflate it and make it look more important than it really is. You get it under the microscope and look how big I am. Look how important I am. But a telescope, a telescope takes something that's far away and helps you see it as it actually is. It increases it. It helps you see something you would not otherwise see and makes it more its actual size. And as Christians of adoration, we're supposed to be more telescopes than microscopes. Not 
putting something over our kingdom and inflating ourselves and making ourselves look big, but saying, let me help you see God and how big he is. Let me help you through my life see how awesome God is. Let me through my life show how big God is and what he's actually like. And so as we close out our time and we sing this song of adoration, oh, come, let us adore him. And I know that many of us in this room and probably the vast majority of us will say that is the song of our life. We want to adore the Lord. But I just want, and I'll pray as we close, just to, as we sing this song, examine your heart. God, are there any places in me where I am a little more Herod than I am Magi? A little more trying to hold on to my own control. I'm anxious. I'm insecure. I'm afraid to give it completely over to you. I want to hold on to it myself. I'd like to be king in this area a little bit longer. Is there any place in my life that I am not completely adoring you? That I am not completely worshiping you? Lord, would you speak to us this morning? As we come and respond to your word, we so easily sing these words, Lord. Oh, come, let us adore him. And they come off our lips so easily. But Lord, you alone know our hearts. So I pray, Father, that you would be gentle, but you would be thorough as you search our hearts this morning. And that, Lord, those of us that are in this room and we call ourselves followers of Jesus and we call ourselves Christians and we say that you have our whole lives, Lord, would you just in these next few moments just search our hearts. Show us, Lord, if there is any place that is not adoring you, that is not worshiping you, that is not fully yours. And that in these next few moments as we sing and as we worship, that we would fully give ourselves over to you as our King and our Lord. And we ask that you would do this in Jesus' name.